Praise the Lord. If you brought a Bible, I want to invite you to go with me to Acts chapter 9. And we're going to continue where we left off last week. We began talking about Saul of Tarsus, the man who was met by God, by the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. He was a persecutor of the church who turned into a preacher of the gospel. His conversion was so remarkable, so dramatic, that to this day when we see someone who has been powerfully transformed by God, we say they've had a Damascus Road experience. Have you ever had a Damascus Road experience? An encounter with Christ can change your life. Saul of Tarsus was transformed and was changed. And the Bible said that he went into Damascus blind because of the light that he saw. God sent a man to him named Ananias to pray for him. Ananias laid hands on him, and the Bible said that when he did that, two things happened. The scales fell off of his eyes, off of Saul's eyes. He began to see again. And he received the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us then that Paul began to preach the gospel. And that's where we pick up this morning in verse 18 of chapter 9 of Acts. If you don't have it, we'll have it here on the screen for you in just a moment. But the, the Bible reads, Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight and got up and was baptized. And he took food and was strengthened. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were in Damascus. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not he who is in Jerusalem who destroyed those who called on this name and who has come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confidence confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. And when many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to, go away, to do away with him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in the large basket. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you this morning for the presence of the Holy Spirit among us. We ask now that you would anoint my lips of clay to preach the word of the living God. And I ask you, God, that you would speak to each one of our hearts as we have need. We pray that your word would fall on good soil this morning in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. I shared with you last week how Saul of Tarsus had more in him than he knew. There was purpose and design by God that was in this man's life. <clears throat> and yet, it wasn't until he had that encounter with Christ that his life became uh, useful to God and he be began to be able to fulfill the purpose of God on his life. There was a word that was given to him on that road to Damascus, a word that said that he would be used by God touch kings and to influence the lives of nations 
And that word was fulfilled uh, because we, to this day, are still quoting the Apostle Paul. And our nations, uh, especially this nation, have been shaped by the words of the Bible, many of which were written by this man. And so we see that there is a, a work of God going on in his life. There is a development of God's plan in his life. He begins to learn more about the, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He begins to share about who Jesus is. And he begins to preach in the synagogue of Damascus. And people are being turned to faith in Jesus. And this story is hard to believe because people had just seen him in Jerusalem persecuting Christians. And now he's one of them. And this, uh, is, this story is remarkable because this man who once cursed Christians is now proclaiming that Christ is not only alive but that he is the son of of the living God, the eternal second person of the Godhead in bodily form. And this story is beyond the comprehension of the people who are witnessing it. And yet there is some truth in, in that in our own lives, that God is at work just like he was in Saul of Tarsus' life. He's at work in your life this morning. God has a plan for your life and God has a word over your life. God has a purpose for every single person in this room. And just like Saul, if you will yield your life to God, if you will yield your heart to God, God will take that lump of clay and he'll make it a vessel that he can use, a vessel for his glory and for his honor. And I just want to encourage you today that maybe you look at your life and you say, Pastor, it doesn't look like much right now. You just hang in there. God is going to do in you what he said he would do. And the work is going to be a good work. Say amen, somebody. But you see, when God begins to work in someone's life, the enemy has a strategy against it. The enemy comes to try to steal, kill, and destroy what God is doing in your life. And so this morning I want you to be aware of a strategy that the enemy uses against, against the word of God in your life. Because ultimately what the enemy is afraid of is not you. He's afraid of the word of God inside of you. He's afraid of the presence of God in your life. And so when you have received the word of God and you begin to walk in the direction of God's call and God's purpose in your life, Satan will unleash his strategy against you. And in this text, we see that there was a two-part strategy that the enemy unleashed against Saul. The first part of the strategy was that he unleashed affliction and persecution against this young believer. He unleashed uh, affliction and persecution against the word of God that was on the life of this young man. And he began to threaten to kill him. He wanted to do away with him, just like the enemy wants to do away with the faith in your heart, and he wants to do away with your life. And I want you to understand this, because it's an important principle from the Word of God. Jesus said that the seed of the Word falls on different types of soil. Sometimes the seed of the Word, the Word of God, it falls like seed on the roadside. And when that seed falls on the roadside, the Scripture says that the birds come and eat the seed. And Jesus said that those birds really are Satan, that he comes to steal away the word of God that's been planted in your life. I want you to be careful this morning because as the sower this morning, God is spreading seed over your life. He's using me to sow the seed of the word into your heart. But let me just tell you, there are birds out there that want to steal the word of God from you. 
There is a, a, a power of darkness at work in the world seeking to steal the word of God from you. And so you can understand why sometimes you leave church blessed and happy, and as soon as you get in the car, something steals your joy. Something steals your peace. Because the birds come to steal away the seed of the word of God. Then we find Jesus tells us that the word falls like seed in stony places. At that time, the seed gets a little bit of, of, uh, of, of soil and it begins to grow. And that seed is received with joy. But then Jesus said, but then a persecution and affliction arises. And it begins to cause that seed not to be able to take root. And this is where you and I have to be careful. Because we must not allow affliction and persecution to rob us of the word of God. Nobody said that if you became a Christian, there would be no hard times. It's nowhere in the Bible that says that you're never going to be facing a challenge or a difficulty in your life. And so you've got to be confident in, in knowing that even in the midst of affliction and even in the midst of persecution that arises in your life because of the word of God, that you can stand firm and take root in what God has spoken into your life. Listen, if you allow every wind to blow you away, You'll never become a mature Christian. If you allow every wind to blow you away, you'll never reach the potential that God has for your life. When you look out across the South Texas plains, you begin to see these great massive oak trees. And what you know about those oak trees is this, that they have endured a few storms. They have gone through a few challenges in their life, and yet they remain standing. Can I tell you this morning that I see some oak trees in here that have endured a few storms and you have a testimony to tell of the faithfulness and the goodness of God. But hang in there because the word of God will perform what it has promised. Then Jesus said sometimes the word falls upon a heart but that, that, that's upon the soil but it's thorny soil and so the word takes root. It begins to grow, but then the thorns choke out the word. And Jesus compared the thorns to the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things. Listen, I want you to notice those three things because some of you are being choked out. The word of God is being choked out in your life because of the cares of this world. Because you're worrying about things you can't control. And rather than give it to God, you're bearing burdens that God doesn't want you to carry. Some of you, the word may be choked out because you are looking for the quick buck for the next dollar. And the deceitfulness of riches has caused you to lose sight of the fact that God is the blesser. God is the one that prospers. And God is the one who is above all that prosperity. And then Jesus said, some people, the word is choked out because they start to desire other things. What does that mean, Pastor? That means you're walking in faith. You're walking in, 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 in your a spiritual walk. But then you start to desire other things. You start to desire what the world has. What the world does. You start thinking about, well, what if I did that? What if I tried this? I wonder what I can get away with. And you start asking questions like, how much sin can I commit and still be saved? How far can I go and still get to heaven? And I'm telling you, friend, those desires, those lusts for the flesh are going to choke out the word of God in your life. But you see, Saul was not like any of those three places. Saul had a fertile hearing, a fertile heart in which the word of God took root. 
And when that word began to take fruit, the Bible says that when good seed falls on good soil, it bears 30, 60, and 100-fold return of fruitfulness in the life of those who take and, and receive the word of God. Is there anybody in here that wants to be good soil for the word of God to come into? You see, the first strategy of Satan is to take away the word. Now, here's the second strategy. The second strategy of Satan is that he wants to bind you and to keep you in the gates of captivity. I want you to notice that the enemy comes against Saul of Tarsus, and the Bible says that they were guarding the gates of the city of Damascus day and night. Now, what does the Bible tell us about gates? Gates are entry points. They're access points, places where you and I can gain access to things that God has planned for us. There was a plan of God on Saul's life, and yet the gates were closed against that plan. The enemy wanted to keep him in and not allow him to go out and do the work that God had called him to do. This morning, I just want to tell you what the Word of God says about the gates. Because in the book of Genesis, the scripture says this, that the gates of your enemies will belong to the children of God. That means that there is no gate in your life that you cannot possess if you are walking in faith because you are a child of God. Say amen, somebody. I don't care if it's the gate of prosperity or the gate of marriage or the gate of uh, child raising. I don't care if it's the gate of a greater education or the gate of health and healing. Whatever gate there is in your life that you need to possess, whatever door it is that needs to open in your life, God says the gates of your enemies already belong to you as your birthright as a child of God. And God wants you to possess the gates of your enemies. He wants you to possess the gates of a good marriage, the gates of a happy home, the gates of a healthy body. Come on, somebody. He wants you to possess the gates of financial provision. And every one of those gates is yours if you will take, take it by faith. The Bible says this, that the, that the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. That means that the enemy cannot close any door that God has decided to open in your life. Say amen, somebody. The enemy cannot shut your access to any place that God wants you to go. Nevertheless, we see here that Saul is dealing with gates in his life that are trying to keep in the purpose of God. Now, in the book of Acts, there are three gates that I want to mention this morning because I think that all of us may be facing one of these gates. Maybe some of you are facing all of these gates. The first gate we hear about in the book of Acts is found in Acts chapter 3. And in Acts chapter 3, that gate is called the beautiful gate. How many of you have heard of the beautiful gate? Well, this was a gate of the, uh, that led to the temple. This was a gate or a doorway an access point to the house of God. And the scripture tells us in Acts chapter 3 that there was a man who was lame and he was sitting at the gate. I want you to notice this picture because this picture is a picture of a lot of people in the world today and perhaps a lot of people in the church today. This man was lame and he was sitting outside of the gate. On the inside of the gate there was blessing. On the inside of the gate was the glory of God. On the inside of the gate was the presence of God. On the inside of the gate was the house of God. 
On the inside of the gate was the manifestation of God's power and might to all of those who would dare to enter in. In fact, just a few days before the incident we read about in Acts chapter 3, the Holy Spirit on the inside of those gates fell upon the church on the day of Pentecost, and the church was born by the mighty baptism of the Holy Spirit just on the inside of the gate. But where is this man sitting? He is sitting outside the gate. This is what I like to call the almost gate. Say almost. How much does almost count? If you say, we almost won the game, does it count? If you, if you say, I almost made it to heaven, will it count? No, this man was sitting at the almost gate. He almost made it into the presence of God. He almost got to the victory. He almost got to his blessing. He almost got to his healing. He almost got to the place where his life could have been transformed. But what happened? He had become accustomed to sitting outside of that gate. He had become comfortable with where he was. And I just want to encourage you this morning, don't get comfortable where you are. You've got to decide there is more for me than where I am right now. And God wants to give me greater things. Come on, somebody. He wants to take you from glory to glory. I know a lot of people that are almost serving the Lord. And they're almost walking in victory. And they're almost getting their, their uh, goals met. And they're almost going to make it to heaven. But you see, almost won't matter. God wants you to get out of that place of complacency and comfort and say, if there's more for me, I want it. Now, the morning that of, of, of Acts chapter 3, the Bible said that Peter and John were going to the house of God to pray. They were going to the house of God to seek the face of the Lord. And on the way in, this man, who has become accustomed to being almost there, is sitting there asking for alms. He's, asked, he's begging for money, for a few coins. He's asking that he be given a little bit of relief. You know, the scripture tells us, that Peter looked at him and he said, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I will give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise and walk. Can I tell you what, friend? There is a name that will bring you from almost all the way in, and it's the name of Jesus. It's the only name that can open the gates to the presence of God. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about the name which is above every name, the name at which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You see, he spoke to him in the authority of the name of Jesus. Do you want to have all that God has for you? You're going to have to know the authority of the name of Jesus. Now this man, it seems, was a little stubborn because the Bible said that then Peter had to reach down and grab him. He had to reach down and pull him up so that he could walk. Can I tell you this morning, I've been sent by God to come and pull you up and to say, look, don't you sit there anymore. Get up. God has more for you than you can imagine. And the scripture said that this man walked into that gate that he had not been able to walk into before. He walked in praising God and giving a testimony of the grace and the goodness of God. Can I tell you this morning, God wants you to come all the way. He wants you to go all the way in. Don't get complacent. Don't get comfortable where you are. Now the next gate we find right here 
in Acts chapter 9. This is a gate that I'll call a gate of deliverance. Paul has been surrounded. The gates have been closed. They're guarding the gates day and night. The enemy wants to keep him bound. He wants to keep the word bound. He wants to keep the ministry of Paul bound. And can I tell you this morning, the enemy wants to keep you bound. If the enemy can't get in you, he'll get around you. And let me just tell you, if you're walking with Jesus, if you're full of the Holy Spirit, he can't get in you. Amen, somebody. This is not a double occupancy apartment right here. The Holy Spirit will not live with the devil. When the Holy Spirit is living and residing in your heart, he's the only one living and residing there. But you see, the enemy will say, well, if I can't get in, I'll get around. I'll come around and I'll keep them in. I'll keep them oppressed and bound so that they can't get where they need to go, so that they can't do the things that God has desired and purposed for their life. I, I, I believe that some people walk in bondage all the days of their life. You see, Jesus has already opened the prison cell. Jesus has already opened the gates of your, of your prison, but many people are still sitting inside the gates of an open jail. They're still sitting inside the gates of addiction and bondage, and they're still living inside of the gates of their customs and their habits and their ideas. I tell you, friends, that Jesus has more for you than that. The Bible said that it was for freedom that Christ has set you free so that you would no longer be subject to the yoke of bondage. And Jesus said, whom the Son makes free will be free indeed. Can I tell you today, there is freedom in Jesus. There is freedom in Jesus. And these are some facts I want you to know. First of all, Jesus wants you to be free. Say amen, somebody. I said, Jesus wants you to be free. Don't ever buy in to these two lies. One lie says, God wants me to be this way. God made me this way, and he, he must want me to be oppressed. He wants, must want me to be depressed. He must want me to be sick. He must want me to be discouraged. That is a lie from hell. Don't you believe it for a moment. God wants you to be free, and he wants you to be completely free. Say amen. Now, the second lie is this. I can't be free. I can't change. This is just the way I am. My grandfather was a drunk. My, grand, my daddy was a drunk. I'm going to be a drunk. No, that's a lie. You can be free. And we, we are not going to reinforce that idea here and say, well, you know, you are what you are. If you're a liar, you know, you're a liar. Ni modo, right? That's what we say. No, there's no ni modo here. Jesus has come to make you free and to make you free indeed. And he's come to take the liar and make him honest. And he's come to take a loser and make him a winner. And he's come to make the sick well. Come on, somebody. Jesus has come to set you free and free indeed. And the Bible tells us that what, what brought freedom to Paul in this circumstance, where he is surrounded, he's locked in, he's, he's been, he's been uh, imprisoned in this city, the, what brought freedom to him was that Paul discovered the plan of the enemy. That's what we would call revelation. Say revelation. What is revelation? Some people think revelation is when you go into a trance and... You, sh you shoot your head back, and God shows you pictures. That's not revelation, all right? Forget about that. If you're, having, if you're having that problem, come, and we'll bring deliverance in the name of Jesus. Okay, that's not God's way. 
But I want you to know this. Revelation is when God tells you what's really going on. How many of you could use a little revelation? When God tells you what's really going on. Because you see, sometimes you see a child acting up. But if you get some revelation, the Lord will tell you there's an enemy. There's a, there's a bondage in their life that's, that's tormenting them. Sometimes you see the physical, but you need revelation. You need insight into what's going on in the spirit world. Because you can fight a spiritual battle in the natural and never get any victory. But the moment you get revelation, you can start praying exactly what needs to be prayed. And you can start coming into agreement with people that know how to pray so that you can gain the victory. So somebody this morning, if you say, Pastor, I need revelation. What do I need to do? I'll tell you what you need to do. You simply need to say, Lord, show me what's really going on. Is it really that easy, Pastor? Is it really that easy? You mean I don't have to go to seminary? I don't have to go to Bible school? I don't have to get, I don't have to get preaching license? No. All you need to do is ask the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit knows what's really going on. The Holy Spirit knows the mind of God. And when you get revelation, then you can start walking to the, in the direction of freedom. And so I, I want you to just to see some ways that the enemy binds you and the way that revelation can set you free, all right? So just listen in uh, real close for a few minutes. Uh, I want you to think about these things because some people are bound by iniquities. What's an iniquity? An iniquity is a pattern of living that you learn from your parents or from your family tree that is a distortion of the truth, all right? That's what we would call an iniquity. And many people are bound by iniquity. These are some examples of iniquities. Anger, gossip, prejudice, bitterness, chauvinism, dominance, sexual abuse, substance abuse, pride, fear, negativity, control, manipulation, irresponsibility, rebellion, physical abuse, verbal abuse, immoral impurity, uh, antisocial behaviors, codependency. All of these are iniquities that hang on from one family uh, from one generation to the next in the family. And it's not until you get revelation about what you're really dealing with that you can become free. So you need to start praying, Lord, I want to be free from this long-standing chain that's been in my family. And I promise you this, if you will listen to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will give you freedom and he'll give you access to liberty for the rest of your family tree. Come on, somebody. You will be, listen, if you will listen to the Holy Spirit, you will be the last person in your family line that ever has to deal with that thing again. Come on, somebody. You can sever the ties of those patterns that have been placed in your life. But you've got to have the Holy Spirit teach you. You have to have the Holy Spirit break the power of those yokes and that bondage in your life. Another source of bondage in people's life is inner vows. And what is an inner vow? It's simply this. It is a God-excluding covenant. All right, let me just say that again. An inner vow is a God-excluding covenant. What are you talking about, Pastor? Well, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says not to swear by anything. If you're going to make a promise, just say yes, yes, or no, no. He says do not make an oath by yourself. Now, what does this mean? That means that God does not want us to make covenants that exclude him. And the way that we do this is like this. I'll give you an example. There was a period of time in my life where every car I got had issues. Ever had that car? 
Well, I had every car had issues. All right? And one day I'm under the car trying to uh, change the starter, and I'm not a mechanic, so I thought this is why every car has issues. But while I'm under there changing the starter, I asked God, what is really going on? I said, Lord, why are all of my cars having problems? I really said this. I said, Lord, why did you give me all these cars with problems? All right? And while I'm praying and um, doing whatever I was trying to do under the car, the Lord said, Isaac, the reason all of your cars have problems is because I'm not Lord of your cars. I said, well, I never heard of that, Lord. What do you mean you're not Lord of my cars? He said, well, remember a few years back, you were given a car, you lost the car, and you said, I will never depend on anyone else for a car again. When you said that, you said you wouldn't depend on me for a car anymore. Because you said, I will never depend on anyone else for a car again. And from that moment on, you became Lord of your cars. How many of you have said something similar? I will never be like my parents. I will never, my kids will never, I'll never treat my children like that. And you have made covenants that have excluded God. I'll never be poor. I'll never go hungry again. I'll never depend on anybody else. I'll never fall in love with anybody again. I'll never give anybody my heart again. And you have excluded God from your covenants. And now you're wondering, why won't God bless this? And God can't bless what he's not Lord over. So you see, that becomes a source of bondage in your life. And when you ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what's really going on? He'll tell you what's really going on. So there I was under that car, and I said, Lord, I repent for having said what I said. I, I reject that statement. You are Lord of my cars. And I'm not going to, uh, I'm, I'm going to depend on you for everything in my life, including my cars. Can I tell you what happened? I did not change the starter on that car. And the problem went away immediately. It's, I never had problems like that again. Come on, somebody. God will show you what's really going on. Somebody say, give me a revelation. You see, when you have insight from the Holy Spirit, he'll open the doors that are binding your life. Here's another, another source of bondage in people's life is judgment. Now, I'm not going to look at anyone in particular this morning. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, judge not. You know this. Come on. Judge not lest you be judged. For with the judgment... That you judge, you shall be judged. And with the measure that you meet, it shall be measured back to you. Now listen, here's what happens. When we judge other people, we are tying ourselves to that judgment. And God says, I'm going to treat you the way you treat other people. And the judgments that we place on other people come back on us. He says, with the same measure that you meet, it will be met back to you. See, if you, if you judge with a, a teaspoon, you're going to get a teaspoon back. But if you judge with a freeloader, you're going to get a freeloader back. Listen now, what does the Bible say? If you read in Romans chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Therefore you have no excuse, everyone who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself, for you, are, you uh, practice judgment in the same things. 
So what are, you, what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying this. When we judge people unjustly, when we judge people with our words, God says you're tying yourself to judgment. You're bringing condemnation upon your life. And that condemnation becomes a source of bondage in your life. You say, Pastor, can I get free from that this morning? Yes, you can. Jesus Christ can sever those things if you will repent of those judgments that you have made. You see, sometimes we judge our parents, and then we do the same thing they did, didn't we? We judge our, our employers, and then when we're in charge, we do the same things. We judge our professors, and then we do the same things. Why? Because we're tying ourselves to that judgment, and condemnation is coming back on us. You've got to understand this. God is the judge. God will settle the score. Free yourself from having to judge other people and just walk in the light of God's grace and in the light of God's goodness for your life. And when you see someone fall into sin, don't judge them. Help them. Pray for them. Pick them up. Encourage them. Support them. Lift them up. Because someday you're going to need to be forgiven. Someday you're going to be, be encouraged. Someday you're going to need to be lifted up. And you will reap what you sow. Listen, God says God is not mocked. What a man sows, that will he also reap. So I want to be found reaping grace uh, because I have been sowing grace. I want to be so found reaping love because I have been sowing love. So listen, you're going to reap what you sow. So be careful what you sow. Because you will reap more than you sow for longer than you sow. And that seed will become a bondage in your life if it's not a good seed. Now, there's one more thing I want to mention that's unforgiveness. Unforgiveness will become a bondage in your life. Why? Because unforgiveness separates you from God. When you won't separate people, God says, I can't connect with you. Because you're holding a grudge against somebody else. Unforgiveness will bind you to your sins. Unforgiveness will cause you not to be able to see what's really going on in your life. You see, when we find somebody to blame, we now feel like I'm no longer responsible for changing me. If I can blame a wife or a husband or a son or a daughter, I no longer have to change myself. And that unforgiveness leads to bondage in your life. But when you get revelation from God, and right now as I speak, some of you are getting revelation. And God is telling you it's time to, to repent and it's time to break those chains that have been binding you, some of them of your own making. And Jesus Christ wants you to be free. And he wants you to be free this morning if you will repent and reject that way of life and that way of thinking and come wholly to him for healing. I want to give you the last gate. Because this is the one that I think all of us need. This last gate is found in Acts chapter 13. In that, in that chapter, chapter 12 I should say. In Acts chapter 12, Peter, the pastor of the church of Jerusalem, the apostle of God, has been thrown in prison. And these are the plans that the devil has for him. The king is going to behead him in the morning. What would you do if you were going to be beheaded in the morning? Well, the Bible said that Peter was thrown in prison, and he was locked behind a series of gates. And then he had 16 Roman soldiers guarding him. Where he was was a dark place, and it was a dead end as far as he could tell. Tomorrow morning, he was going to be executed because of the word of God in his life. What did Peter do? Did he start wringing his hands? 
He stopped saying, oh, woe is me. No, the Bible said he went to sleep. Why did he go to sleep? Because before Jesus left the earth, he said, Peter, when you're old, they're going to lead you. And he explained to him the day he was going the way he was going to die. And Peter must have looked in the mirror and said, I'm not old yet. God's not done yet. I'm not dying today. Come on, somebody. I said, come on, somebody. You see, when the devil speaks a death sentence over your life, you just tell him, devil, you don't get to decide the day I go. I am walking with God. And he went to sleep. But while Peter went to sleep, the church went to pray. This is what I call the miracle gate. How many of you need the miracle gate to open in your life? The miracle gate only opens through prayer. And you and I are a people of, of prayer, and we must be a people of prayer because the only way to see those gates open is through prayer. You see, you can't just sit on your front porch and wait for God to do what he said he was going to do in your life. you got to pray it in. I say you got to pray it in. Peter's sleeping, but the church is praying. And while they are praying, the Bible said that an angel came out of heaven and woke up the apostle Peter and said, Peter, get up. Time to go. Put your shoes on. Put your, put your coat on. 50 degrees outside. It's freezing cold. And he got him up. Peter didn't know if he was sleeping or awake. He started to walk through one gate, and then another gate, and then another gate. Finally, he came to the iron gate. And the Bible said that the iron gate opened by itself. And Peter walked out of that prison. What was a dead end became a highway of God's deliverance. What was the end of the road became a miracle in the life of Peter. Why? Because there was a church that began to pray and intercede. Can I tell you this? Someone has said, and it's so true, they said it was the angel that brought Peter out of the prison, but it was the church that brought the angel out of heaven. You see, when you and I begin to pray, things happen in the heavenlies, and miracles are unleashed toward a people that know how to believe God. Is there anybody in here that needs a miracle gate to open in your life? Then the Bible gives you a simple recipe. Ask and it shall be given. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be opened unto you. Because everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door is open. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about a God that still answers prayer. A God that still delivers. A God that still saves. A God that still heals. A God that still works miracles. A God that is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that you could ask, or even imagine today is your day the gates belong to you I said the gates belong to you you will possess the gates of your enemy so I don't know what gate you need open this morning but I know that there's a God in heaven who answers prayer and I want you to come with faith into this altar and I want you to begin to pray with confidence, pray with hope, pray with faith. Come on, pray with the assurance that God is able to do what you need done in your life. And if there's a bondage in your life, if there's a yoke in your life, what do you have to do? Acknowledge it before God. 
Say, God, I have judged. I have made covenants that excluded you. I have come in my own power, my own iniquity. And just repent of that. Reject those ways of thinking. And watch the Holy Spirit work. Come on, open your mouth with confidence. Open your mouth with confidence as you pray. You are a child of the living God. Satan can't keep you out of the blessing of God. Get out of the almost gate. Go all the way in. Go the whole distance with God. 